The Doctor is In is a co-production of Bobby Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Nice to have you with me here on The Doctor is In. You have always been a voice of reason through all of this. Appreciate your time, what you're doing for America. I give you advice. And it doesn't work at all. You are definitely not inept by any means. I like to hear women say that about me. Whatever advice you're going to send my way, I am 100% taking it. I can't tell you what to do. I will not tell you what to do. Okay. Well, thanks. That wasn't the answer I wanted. Are you kidding me? Great stuff, Dr. Ray. I'm glad I called. I've scheduled my day around listening to your radio show. <laughs> you don't have to laugh so hard. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. More radios are tuned to this program than any other kitchen appliance. Oh, yeah, a lot more radios than microwaves, refrigerators, blenders. Nice to have you with me. Doctor is in. The version, the variant, of course, of The Doctor Is In is Look Back Friday. It's where we take previous calls, edited at the capable hand of Andrew Kruchek. And I was noticing some of these calls are shorter than our typical length. And Andrew informed me that I I digressed. I went off on a rabbit trail to the side, and he took the liberty of just slicing me out of there, which, you know, I it's a lot of wisdom he just kept. Lying, he left lying on the cutting room floor, as it used to be called digitally. Now there is no cutting room floor, so I'm somewhere in the ether, and those words are heading out into outer space, traveling around roughly 186,000 miles a second. But uh, I don't know where they'll land. Maybe some star somewhere just to get burned up. We'll get to your calls here in a second. Of course. When I was in grad school, there was a lot of talk about uh, men and women being equal. Now, this was not equality based upon rights, equality based upon opportunity. No, no, this was equality based upon every facet of the human personality and physiology and physicalness. And I thought, come on, that's not going to last that's re- that you, you, you can't assume this. A female cannot throw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball no matter what. She doesn't have the body structure for it. She's not going to deadlift 600 pounds. So given, given that there are these obvious physical differences, I figured, okay, well, then they will understand as they, as they continue to research the human brain, there are obvious neurological differences, too. In skills, in perception. I remember one of the things that we got in grad school is that, that women had more better verbal skills than men. And men had more spatial skills. And anybody who drives a car knows when when the female says, Oh, 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 oh and the guy's thinking, I'm I'm twenty seven yards away. Twenty seven yards away. So that's just normal. That's okay. That's the way it is. Whether you believe in a God or you don't, that is the way it is. That is reality. So it really has made a dramatic resurgence, dramatic resurgence in our culture now. Equality must mean equality of everything. Everything. 
For example, a a boys soccer team beat the women's Olympic soccer team some years back. The high school boys, high school boys. You'd expect that. The high school boys are quick. They are quick. There's only a certain amount of top-end speed that the women's body is structured for. That, that, that's, that's not in any way putting anybody down. That's what amazes me. And I think this is tied into the, the reality of self-image. For my self-image to be solid, I have to be as good as you in everything. Huh? Obviously, that's not true. I can't be a nuclear particle physicist. I don't have the gray matter, the neurological structure to be a nuclear particle physicist. It ain't there. So there are people, men and women, who are nuclear particle physicists that I can't equal. Okay. Now, if you believe in God, that's even less important because your whole value is your pursuit of God. That's what matters. That's where we're all equal. We all have the ability to answer to God, to seek God, to obey God. But when you become less God-focused, all of a sudden what you are and what you can do better not be constrained by anybody's ideas. There is a high-profile talk show host who has also been a sports talk show host who has a large bet that he said that a, a championship caliber, state championship caliber boys basketball team could defeat the champions of the Women's National Basketball League, Women's NBA. And he says this. He's put up a million dollars. Well, he's getting skewered. How dare he? How dare he say this? He's putting women down. I don't know if it's putting women down. I, if it's true, it's not a put down. He's saying, let's see what happens. But people are very angry because he even just said that. I think the point he was making is there are physiological, physical differences between men and women that you just can't erase. Dr. A, some women are as strong as some men. That's true. That's true. The uh, continuums have a little place where they overlap and that the strongest woman is stronger than maybe the average guy. Got that. My wife is unbelievably strong for her size and her age. She, she can do dumbbell presses with 45 pounds in each hand, multiple reps, the average guy can't do 45 pounds in each hand. She can do that. Okay, that's nice. As her brother-in-law, my brother, does 110 in each hand. It's just a physiological difference that's reality. Now, one of the things I noticed, speaking of differences between the sexes, you could be a... Nuclear particle physicist, you could be an orthopedic surgeon, you could be a math genius, all sitting in the same room and enjoying the Three Stooges. Women, no matter what their status in life, no matter what their age, really, look at the Three Stooges and say, that's not funny. 
That's just ridiculous. How can you laugh at that? That's not even funny. And the guys, the nuclear particle physicist, is turning to the orthopedic surgeon and saying, Why? I don't know. It would be a nice topic for study to figure out what it is about the three stooges that appeals to more guys than more women. Now, I've talked about this before in this program, and I've got email that, uh, oh, sorry, e-person, that says, I like the three stooges and I'm a woman. I say, hey, that's great. But the average woman doesn't. And I'll tell you another difference between men and women. The average woman does not like a buffet. I married my wife because she's the only girl I ever dated that would go to a buffet. Men like buffets. We do. It's, I don't know, hunter-gatherer, grazer. I don't know what it is about it. I love buffets. Dr. Ray, you are willing to eat at a buffet? Yeah. Matter of fact, I get nervous when I sit at a table at a restaurant and, and people bring me my food. I, I want to get up and go get it. Differences. Average guy's bathroom has seven things in it. Razor, toothbrush, deodorant, some soap, maybe a towel. Average woman's bathroom has 284 things in it, and then most of them, I don't even know what they are. It's a difference. That's okay. Difference is okay. I don't know how we've gotten to the point where difference somehow means deficient difference means superiority yeah it is superiority in a certain skill maybe okay so what has nothing to do with personal value and it certainly hasn't anything to do with infinite value it's time to get back to respecting the wonderful differences between men and women and if you try to deny it you're going to look foolish because you're gone up against reality, and reality always wins. You can ignore reality. You can challenge it. You can jump out of a plane at 20,000 feet with no parachute and for about a minute and a half say, so far, so good. But reality, in the sense of gravity, will win. And there's just physical realities. There are neurological realities. There are personal realities that will assert themselves. And all that happens when you deny them is ultimately <sighs> you look like you don't know what you're talking about. I love the differences between men and women. Are you kidding me? In therapy, women are much more verbal than men. They're much more in touch with their emotions. They can talk about them. In many ways, they're more insightful. I got that. On the other hand, men are less verbal. They don't talk as much. They're not as reactive to certain situations. That's okay. That This is standard differences. We used to recognize it. We weren't threatened by it. Not anymore. I'll close with this, ad, this idea. Some years ago, a very popular magazine had as its cover... Men and women are, and emphasizing the R, A-R-E, different. Only a pop secular magazine could take this as a revelation. 
Dr. Ray. You're listening to The Doctor. Come in, pull up a couch, let's talk. The Doctor is in. He is honored by the church as a saint with the title of the angelic doctor. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote a basic textbook for young theology students that became the church's most famous guide to the faith, the Summa Theologica. It helped him earn the title Doctor of the Church. He died in 1274. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord, Teach Me to Pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Good to be with you. Always real good to be with you. Appreciate it so very, very much. This is the Doctor is in. This is Look Back Friday. Let's take one of the previous calls, play it in its entirety, at least the entirety that Andrew Kruchek, my producer man and editor, has decided to allow. He has such power. And then I will talk. Hopefully he won't edit me out when I talk about it. We're going to go to Anne from New York, who is just having a whale of a time forgiving her brother. I used to be, well, I'm a disabled nurse, and I'm used to helping people and taking care of them, and I've been laid up with a, a rare chronic illness in my leg. It's just really dying, and it's just nothing I can do about it, and it's getting the better of me. But anyway, I've been reading a lot about saints and things, and I, uh, I've gone to healing masses and whatnot, and one of the things that Father Richard McAleer said uh, he would, you know, pray over people, and week after week, this one woman was coming there, and he finally said to her, you know, here's somebody you have a grudge against, and, oh, yeah, my sister, I hate her, and I'd, I'd rather have cancer than to forgive her. Wow. That's, That's pretty that, potent. <laughs> yep. And anyway, I just, I grew up in an alcoholic home, and I 
forgiven my dad, and he, you know, he cleaned up his act, and he was a loving kind of guy, and he had issues. But my brother, he's like a jealous sibling rivalry thing that's been going on forever. And, you know, he's got his good points and bad like I do. But if anything, I would say to any of your listeners, don't play favorites. It destroys families. In any way, when my parent parents passed away, I took care of them for years, and and he caused such havoc, spreading lies about me that I was stealing money from my mother, and I wasn't. If anything, I was spending money hand over fist out of my own pocket. How old was and your dad I, when he? How old was your dad when he started accusing you of that? When we were doing the, you know, the estate handling, that kind of thing. My mother had dementia. She died two years later. Did your father? And, um, did, did your father show signs of dementia? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so one of the one of, the reason I asked that question, Ann, you're getting yourself all upset over what your father accused you of, is that if in fact my father did, my brother did, not my father. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm confused. So your brother accused you then, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so the the point here is still the same. Did your brother show signs of dementia? No, he didn't. Okay, that's where I misunderstood then. He didn't. He he showed no signs of this. He was just angry at you because he thought you were doing a little sleight of hand here, huh? I guess. And he figured, Are you? were you the executor of the will? We both were. He went to the lawyer and got my name taken off. Oh, ho, ho. Whoa, ho, ho, ho. Was there a lot of money involved? Not mega bucks. You know, there were six kids, and, um, you know, it was not... A, not a huge amount, but, you know, my dad used to plead poor, and we used to spend a lot of money. Oh, I don't have any money today. Why don't you take care of this? So, Well, I interestingly enough, every year. why would your brother want to push you out? Because I was the golden favorite child that my father favored, and it caused so much havoc. Okay. So the brother is the one you're really struggling to forgive. Correct. And it was because primarily he accused you, or no, you've had a long-standing bad relationship with him. Long-standing bad relationship. He always hated me. Oh, okay. Does he still hate you? Maybe on some levels he does. All right. I, I, I did post that question to him. Why are you so hateful? Well, that's a pretty strong word to use, he said. No, so he's denying it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, have you forgiven him? I, I try, I have masses, I pray about it. Well, that's forgiving him. Hey, 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 that's forgiving him. What you're saying is, I have to feel warm toward him. No, you don't. I guess. No, you don't. You're praying for him. You're having masses said for him. That's forgiving him. You're not wishing him ill. You're not wishing he'd roast in right. hell. You're, you're simply right. saying, it's hard for me to have ushy-gushy feelings toward my brother because of the long-standing struggles between us. Okay, I got right. that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you you may soften toward him in time when you start to reframe this, Anne. And that is, is it possible your brother is more unhappy about things than you are? Maybe. Yeah. So he's when not you, well either. There you go. When you realize he's not a happy person... It makes it a little easier to feel softer toward him. Because he's not this overbearing, obnoxious, I'm superior to you attitude. Although that may be how he tries to come across, but that's not really where he's at. 
He may be jealous of you in some respects. You're a professional. Was he? Well, he had, he was a, he fixed cars. He had a brilliant mind for that. And then he was a prison guard. Okay. Well, you were a professional. You had a college degree. Yeah. Yeah. So don't, don't confuse that you don't have the warmest of feelings toward him with not forgiving him. If I had a lot more time, I'd want to probe a little bit into her statement. Do you remember the very beginning? She said, parents don't show favorites. It has lifelong repercussions. I don't know exactly how her father showed favorites. For example, if Anne was warmer toward her father, more understanding toward her father, took care of her father, more so than her brother did, then it's understandable that the father would have a warmer relationship with Anne. Doesn't necessarily mean he favored her in being unfair toward her. He didn't leave her two-thirds of the estate and the other five kids got the remaining third. It doesn't sound like that. She didn't say that anyway. But it did sound like the history was replete with her being closer and more tolerant and understanding of her father. That would naturally make him have a, a warmer sense toward her. Now, those of you listening know this is the way it is, especially with your adult children. Some of them are very solicitous toward you. Some of them are very kind toward you. Some of them are very helpful toward you, while others uh, barely acknowledge your existence. Naturally, you feel closer to those adult children who act closer to you. That's natural. Where the complication comes in is that oftentimes those who are neglectful of a relationship with you accuse you, like Ann's brother was doing, of being the favorite. They don't recognize or they don't admit that indeed your connection with your parent was much more frequent it was much more helpful, much stronger than theirs. I haven't met a whole lot of people who say, well, you know, my mom, she's, she's a lot closer to my sister than she is to me. And I understand that because my sister's always been the one that's there for her a lot more than I have. I haven't, I've, I've heard some say that, but I, I haven't heard all that as a rule. I more often hear resentment. Why am I the one that uh, seems like I'm not really respected or liked or connected with? Well, well, because you, you don't come around. I remember one time a mother said to me that her young adult daughters were accusing her of favoring her two sons. And she said to me, my Two sons don't treat me as disrespectfully as my daughters do. My daughters argue with me. They bicker with me. They make me feel foolish. My sons don't do that. So naturally, I have an easier relationship with them. But the two daughters interpreted it as, you see, you favor the boys. 
not showing much insight into their own interaction with mom and how that pushes mom emotionally a little farther away. If you don't have insult, in, uh, insult, a little Freudian slip there, if you don't have insight into who you are, then you're tempted to conv- convict another person of playing favorites with a sibling or a friend or somebody else. with Teresa Tomio. People think it's easier to stay in the muck. The devil that we know is easier than the devil we don't know, but what they don't realize is that the situation can get worse. And what we're seeing now with some of these very liberal orders, let's say, for example, these liberal orders that are dying out, especially religious sisters, dying out, literally folding. And then you have the religious orders such as the Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, the Dominican Sisters in Nashville, the Sisters of Life in New York, flooded with requests for information and to meet with the sisters about this beautiful life because they're so joyful because they are living the truth of Scripture and the truth of the Eucharist of Jesus. But these people will not let go because then you have to look yourself in the mirror and then you have to surrender. I think it all goes back to the Garden of Eden. Who's God? Are we God or is God God? Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Where is prayer revealed in the Bible? The Catholic Catechism says it comes between the fall and the restoration of man, between God's sorrowful call to our first parents, where are you? What have you done? And the coming of his only son into the world. Lo, I have come to do your will, says the Lord. Prayer is intertwined with human history. Beginning with Abraham, the Catechism asserts, prayer is first revealed in the Old Testament. God calls Abraham in old age to leave Haran and travel to the land of Canaan. And Abraham, in faith, leaves the land of his ancestors. Then Abraham extends generous hospitality during a remarkable encounter with God, which foreshadows the Annunciation of Christ, the Son of the Promise. Finally, Abraham offers his only son Isaac in sacrifice, and God, who will not spare his only son, spares Abraham's. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Thank you so much for joining me. I am the only host in all of Catholic media that can take days off your purgatory. Because I could be so irritating to listen to. And if you force yourself to listen above your irritation, I can't prove it, but I think more time would be taken off your purgatory. It just stands to reason. What am I looking at here? Um, Jake. Jake from North Dakota is talking about something that used to be called multiple personality disorder. Now it's called dissociative personality disorder. Dissociative meaning there's a certain separation in the self-identity. 
a person doesn't see themselves as 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 one complete person and personality they see themselves as separate sorts of individuals now this is this is a it used to be viewed as a neurotic condition and that was because of sigmund freud who really started a lot of this moving right now the understanding is definitely moving toward trauma and perhaps a, a psychosis. Let, let's find out what's going on with Jake here. All right. So you got this question about this dissociative identity disorder, huh? No, oh, I was just curious if they're different. I mean, they're saying all that's caused by chemical imbalance in the brain or what, whatnot. And I know typically, probably in cases of exorcism, they don't do a lot of chemical studies, but I didn't know if there had ever, ever been like a case study where they looked at people who had been, you know, seeing a psychiatrist before or after an exorcism, like, like if, like what kind of effect that would have on the chemicals of the brain. Initially, what was called multiple personality disorder got a high profile by Sigmund Freud. That's right, the Lusapelin de Strudel. And Freud's view was, well, there's all kinds of internal psychic conflicts. And the individual had to develop these personalities to cope, to keep down, to repress, or even suppress, two different words, psychoanalytically speaking, these conflicts. As our understanding has grown... We recognize that in very extreme cases, this does seem to be a psychotic condition. That these variants of the individual's personal expression can be mediated by a kaflui in the neuronal goings-on in the brain. Relating to what I said prior to picking up the call with you Jake when I talked about my colleague the mental health center who had seen I don't know how many of these things one could also make the case that and I've seen this with the theorists saying that the uh, clinician evokes it the clinician searches for it the clinicians ask questions in such a way and there's a suggestibility from the client so this happens. So I guess what I'm saying, Jake, is that it's it's probably multi-causation. But you are right. In a in more extreme type cases, and this would have to be something that that you'd look at overall in the way this person is exhibiting these personalities, and they're generally not personalities per se. They're they're more or less kind of expressions. You know, the guy might be a 21-year-old college student, and then the next day he's a 16-year-old sophomore in high school kind of thing. So is there something chemical going on? Yeah, there can be. Can be. I don't think it's always the case. And it's rare, by the way. It is rare. It is. This is not a common thing. It's like I said with all my colleagues, none of us had ever seen and dealt with gender identity disorder, and here's this three-year-old clinician, three-year meaning experience old clinician, saying, yeah, I've seen dozens of them. Well, that tells you something. You know what the word iatrogenic means? Not a clue. Doctor caused. No, certainly not all of them are. 
but that's probably one component. Jake asked a question I didn't address. He said, is there any way to measure, assess, look into neurological changes throughout the changes in the personality in the dissociative disorder or even with a successful exorcism it would be nice if we could it would be fascinating it would be instructive but we can't we don't have a fraction of the technological expertise to do this we don't have the measuring instruments certainly we can measure changes in the brain where more blood is being used more oxygen is being used we can we can find places that change in their activity level given certain types of input or stimulation we can do this but but think about the research complications from an ethical standpoint that you would run into for example in attempting to see what changes occur in the brain once someone who has been possessed clearly possessed and I I've, I've looked into this very deeply and there is no doubt in my mind that uh, some of these possessions they are rare are inexplicable by any kind of psychological or physical understanding that said how would you do this you would you would have to almost monitor the person while the exorcism is going on some of these exorcisms take a long time furthermore um, there is a confidentiality component I mean you just can't go tell everybody oh by the way you know I was with uh, Jane Smith the other day it was fascinating I was I was in there on her exorcism and I want to I want to tell you what's going on you can't do that that's confidential stuff so one we don't have the techniques contrary to what they said about Steve Austin million six million dollar man we have the technology we don't and second second of all you you run into the ethical problem of okay <laughs> who are you testing here under what circumstances are you testing and furthermore in the peak of a possession I suspect full well that the person is not going to allow or the demon is not going to allow any kind of intervention heck they don't they don't like <laughs> a lot of what's gone on to get them to leave that person so there you they would be quite uncooperative what, now I'm gonna speculate do I think there would be neurological changes yeah probably because the brain reflects the input that it gets from whatever sources either the senses or the extra senses so all that fascinating subject there brought up by Jake I'm Dr. Ray
Now that the abortion problem has been returned to the states, we will most likely be called upon to give a reason for our pro-life activism. But this is more than a mere political issue. It's an opportunity to present the gospel of life. It's an opportunity to demonstrate the kingdom's view of this world and of human life. And the central question in this dispute is going to be, what is the status of preborn human life? Many Christians need to recognize that, yes, we have to do the political thing, but we have greater opportunities here. We have an opportunity to engage people about the very meaning of life itself. I mean, that's why John Paul II wrote the gospel of life. He didn't just write some sort of political anti-abortion tract, right? He's talked about the gospel of life. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. 60 on 10 with Monsignor Charles Pope. The Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. At one level, the reputation a person has is one of their most precious gifts. And to intentionally harm the good reputation of someone is a very grave matter. We can do this often through detraction by disclosing others' faults without a valid reason or calumny just outright lying about other people, likewise through rash judgment. This commandment also protects the truth, which is another very, very great good. To lie is to speak something that we know is false with the intention of deceiving others. We ought to be dedicated to the truth. It is the truth that sets people free, while errors and lies entrap people in many difficult and often sinful situations. The Lord asks us to give witness to the truth of the gospel. This commandment, therefore, asks us to stay dedicated to the truth and to other people's reputation. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com. Rated PG-13, Psychological Grandstanding. Understood at the roughly 13-year-old level that I speak at. This is Dr. Ray Garendi. This is Look Back Friday. Um, what else do I need to say? That's pretty much it. I'm going to take another call from a previous program and talk some more about it. And there's various reasons why I extrapolate on these uh, calls. Sometimes there's a question early in the call that I didn't address or there's something that would be helpful to elaborate on or a term used that wasn't uh, easily understood or sometimes I just uh, just want to say more. That's all. I just want to say more. It's my program, you know. Lori from Missouri had a point she wanted to make. She was talking about God gives us not necessarily what we want but what is best for us. Lori's responding to uh, Dominic, who called at the, the very top of the program, regarding the promises made to Sister Blessed Saint Faustina regarding the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Hi, Lori. The only thing that I wanted to try to offer is a little bit of thought. It took me a while to learn it myself. That when we pray and we do novenas, or we consistently pray the rosary, in hopes that we get what we want. It doesn't happen quite that way because we lost our son four years ago on the 4th of July, unexpectedly. 
And I'm like, Lord, you got to do this. Lord, you got to do that. And I kept praying and praying. And it's like, do this, Novena, do that, Novena, do this, Novena. And gradually I come to learn that God answers our prayers and in the ways that he sees most fit rather than the way that we see fit. Are you saying God's if smarter God than was, you? Well, of course he is. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. Well, when yeah. we say that it's not being answered the way we want it to be answered, we're saying we're smarter than God. True? I would, you know, I can see where you're coming from, but when I wanted my son back and I wanted my son back, the good Lord knew what was better. And what? Lori, when you it say, happened. I'm so so sorry to hear about this, when you say you wanted your son back, are you saying after he had passed away, you were praying for some kind of return? I was wishing and praying that they would be able to revive him. Oh, and I see. And they couldn't. I see. And it was a big ordeal and unexpected. But I come to learn that when God took him home, he knew after our son was gone that long, he would have either been on life support, a brain damage, that wouldn't have been living, that would have been existing. So therefore, God knew what was best, and he knew better than I did. So no matter how many times we pray or we say, this is my opinion, though, and my feelings, no matter how much we pray for something we want, God answers the prayers, but in the way that he thinks is most best for us. When I was in the evangelical world, we used to have a tongue-in-cheek joke that said, Dear God, do with me what you want. Just don't send me to Africa. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that could be. I, I understand that one. What what seems to be indisputable here, Lori, is that clearly prayers are not always answered the way we want. So if, if we say that God isn't responding to our faithful prayers, then he's either ignoring us or it's what you say which is he knows better what's best for us. Or in your son's case, somehow, some way, and you've come to this peace. I'm assuming it gives you peace. It is a peace. I'm assuming it was a drown. You're assuming it was a what, sir? Being drowned. He had he had drowned. His heart or, ruptured and he drowned it in his own blood. Oh, my. Oh, that was an aortic aneurysm. Right. And... It was all unexpected. But the thing is, is that when we were en route to his home, uh, the only prayer that came to my heart was, Lord, you gave him to me, and now I give him back to you. I surrendered my son back into the Lord's hands because the Lord wanted him to pull out of this. He would have, if the Lord knew the consequences of being without oxygen for so long was going to be worse. That's a lot of faith, Lori. Lori, that's a lot of faith. Anybody in yeah. your life anybody in your life think you were naive to think like that? They who do not understand. But in time they will understand, hopefully, because that's the way we learn. I just can only 
I can only say that I know that God knows that's what's best. And the prayer of St. Ignatius is on my heart because give me your love and your grace. That's enough for me. Thank you, Lori. God's got everything taken care of. Hey, thank you for the reminder for me, too. You know, I always say I learn a lot from you folks. Yours is a perfect example. One of the arguments thrown up against Christianity or believers in God in general is that uh, your God doesn't uh, answer your prayers. I mean, this is something that uh, B.J. Skinner said. I remember reading it back. He was a, a an inveterate behavioralist way back in the 20s, and so he... He, he changed the shape of psychology for a while. And he, he said, prayers are occasionally answered. And the point he was making was that it, it reinforced our belief in God because when we pray, sometimes things turn out the way we want, so therefore that's enough to keep us believing in a God. That was his take. I don't think Skitter was a believer at all. <clears throat> But I wrestle with how ex how exactly does it work? Our Lord says, pray. He says, ask in my name. You'll get it. He talks about the widow who badgered the judge. Keep going. Keep praying. Keep persevering. Now, many of you have been persevering in your prayer for years and years and years. And what you're praying for is good. Reconciliation with an adult child. Um smoothing out of a marriage, changing in someone's soul direction. And these are good things to pray for. And your question would be, okay, where where's God in this? What's happening here? I can give you the answer that I've come to. I don't know. But here's what I do know. The older I get... And the more I am faced with the unfathomable complexity of life, of the universe, of the human body, of physics, that the mind behind all of this is so unutterably beyond my comprehension. That for me to say, well, I really don't really get why he did it that way and he didn't do it that way, you know, I just, I really start to wonder about him. It's really foolish. It's really, really foolish. Because you know as well as I do, just in your very, very limited perspective, you have found out later a couple of things you didn't know, which changed your view completely. And that was only learning a couple of more things. And it turned your view around. Can you imagine how your view would be turned around if you knew what God knew? He knows infinitely more than we know. So I really don't know how he handles prayer and what he decides to if you will, answer in our way or or answer in a way we don't understand. I don't know. I don't know. An example for me. 
a reasonably straightforward one. A little one-year-old dies. People say, I prayed for him, prayed for him, prayed for him, prayed for him, and he died. How terrible, how awful. Where is your God? But if that one-year-old goes straight to heaven, God says, you don't understand. What, what, What you thought was a terrible wrong was an infinite good, but you just didn't understand that. Now, I'm not saying we don't mourn. Of course we do. Of course we do. That's all we know. But from God's perspective, it's so much wider than our own where he says, no, that child would have lost his soul when he was 34. He would have turned from me. He would have led a horrible life. He would have hurt people. He came to me when he was one, and I let it happen. But see, we don't understand that. We can't see that. We don't know that. We don't know the future. Now, that's of no comfort for the person who loses a one-year-old at all. But it is a potential reality. And for me, that's just one small example of how God could do things that I have no idea how he works them out. Dr. Ray. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo. John chapter 11, verses 21 to 26. This is the story of Lazarus. Lazarus has died. Lazarus is one of his best friends. Just before this passage, we hear the news that Martha and Mary send word to Jesus that the one you love is sick. And the next line in the scripture is, now because Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was. His friend's in need. He can heal. They've seen him heal before. And yet somehow, because he loves him, he stays. And Lazarus dies. And then Jesus shows up three days later and is greeted by Martha and Mary, who confront him with the words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would never have died. Rather applicable for many of us in our lives. We ask the Lord to do one thing because we're certain it is what we think is best. When in fact, he has something which far surpasses what we ask for. The challenge is, in waiting for that to happen, we go through very trying times, which oftentimes makes us wonder, does he really care? Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Dr. Ager, any program doctors in uh, just about three minutes left. No time for another look back call. 
This kind of relates to the previous topic of understanding God from uh, C.S. Lewis in A Grief Observed when he wrote about the loss of his wife that he loved dearly. They were married for four years. He asked this, Can a mortal, meaning us, ask questions which God finds unanswerable? Quite easily, I should think. All nonsense questions are unanswerable. How many hours are there in a mile? Is yellow square or round? Probably half the questions we ask, half of our great theological and metaphysical problems, like how does prayer work, are like that. So even Lewis recognized it when when his wife, he was kind of a confirmed bachelor. And when his wife of four years passed away, it hit him pretty hard. And I think he didn't understand it. And he was saying, we can ask questions that are unanswerable. We do not have the capability to wrap our heads around them. Now, some might say, well, therefore that means God isn't around. Or he doesn't listen. Or he's playing basketball in another galaxy and he doesn't even know there's a world called Earth. You look at the evidence for God on the basis of its own evidence. There's plenty of evidence for the basis of God. All kinds of evidence. Scientific evidence. Authority evidence. Miraculous evidence. Logical evidence is just heavy, heavy emphasis. I Believe me, I have spent years and years and years studying the evidence for God. So once you decide God exists, then you don't doubt him because you can come up with questions that you can't answer. That makes no sense. I don't see why God didn't answer that prayer. Okay, that's fair. You don't see it. It doesn't mean that he didn't do what was good. It doesn't mean that he did something that you had no idea was for the best. It doesn't mean that at all. Or it doesn't mean that sometimes just bad things happen in a fallen world. That is the world we live in. This is not heaven. Probably the most common things we pray for is physical health. Emotional well-being. Those are the most common things we pray for. Sometimes they don't happen, or they don't seem to happen, or not in our lifetime they don't happen. It doesn't mean God isn't listening. Prayer is a mysterious thing. I'm Dr. Ray. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. Thanks, Andrew Kruchek. I appreciate everything. Walk with God. Now that's something you can understand. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.